This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Dead War Pig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Monday, July 31st, 2023. Dornall, how was your week? Yes. It's been a good week. I've got a little announcement. They got some good news and bad news. What do you want to hear first? Bad news. The bad news is uh, I inadvertently destroyed uh, a couple of episodes ago. We had an interview with Kursova from Kur- Alexander from Kursova Magazine. Uh, that episode was destroyed due to foolishness and negligence on my part. Many apologies for anyone who has been looking for that. Uh, But it turns out that clipping and cutting a video clip mean two different things. And they mean the opposite. So, and before you ask, you and everybody in the peanut gallery, uh, no, I didn't make a local backup first. I don't even have an excuse. I mean, sorry about that, guys. So that was our technical difficulties for the hopefully the year. Let's just stop there. Okay. The good news is that Kursova's project, The Mighty Sons of Hercules, that I believe just ended right now at... Uh, 9 p.m. Central, and that's funded. Uh, So we're going to get those great, great, uh, crazy muscle men stories that he was telling us about that you cannot go back in here. I put the link in the chat again, and I can put it in, uh, in the bio later for this episode. So I hope you check it out. Um, the book, as I said, you can't check out the episode anymore. C'est la vie. This is actually the first episode we've lost. Yeah, it is. I mean, thanks. I'm going to say thanks mostly to your diligent backups. Uh, you, you are the most diligent person I know when it comes to backing up all your media and files. I imagine you've learned this lesson the hard way in the past. Yes. <laughs> Several times. Well, it's st- and I just feel awful because it wasn't like it wasn't a song or, or a movie or something like that. It was something that, uh, you know, we enjoy to do. And now we can't share that with everybody, but. We'll make it through somehow. I've also learned that you can have three backup strategies and weird circumstances to ha- can happen, can arise, where there's a hole that appears between those three backup strategies for whatever reason, and something will 
be existing in that hole so that it's not copied to any of those three yet. It's Ooh. scheduled to be, but it won't be copied to any of those three yet. And then something will happen to wipe that out. Yes, I've had that happen. Uh, you would. Uh, you're the you're the unlucky one of the two of us, I think. I have faced my share of hardships in life. Well, I that's must say, I, I must say that's what I've got going on this week. I don't have uh, much else exciting going on. You have nothing to talk about. Well, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is always on my mind. Uh, what what shall I say about that? Uh, the Brosar is still fun. It's the most interesting discussion I've seen ever happen in the RPG space. Um, and... And the discussion just keeps expanding. Because of the consistency. I think it's the consistency with which the people of the Brosar talk about just the rules in the game and, and what happens in all these session reports. Uh, new people keep filtering through and some of them stop and they say, hey, this is interesting. Let me try that. Everybody who does so everybody who says wow these are interesting techniques in a role-playing game i want to try them out love it because the effects are reproducible these guys know what they're talking about in particular there's a guy going by the moniker the curator i believe uh, he's one of these guys, you know, new to, I think he's new to game mastering. So he says, all right, I, you know, I not new to game mastering. He says he's tried all sorts of different techniques. And after playing a little bit of AD and D rules is written, he decided that, you know, he liked a lot of that stuff. So I, I'm going to try one of these big fancy campaigns that you guys are talking about. Right. And so he started an Oriental adventures game and he sort of mimicked what, a lot of the Brosar guys were doing and said, okay, well, I'm going to set up a Discord server and, you know, here's here's the kind of game I'm going to run and I'm looking for people who might be interested to play. I'm looking for people who might be interested in playing patrons or uh, if you're not familiar with patrons, faction leaders. Like, I, you know, I want to lead the samurai. I want to lead the ogres. I want, you know, whatever. I hope that makes sense. Uh, and in something like two days, he had 50 people on the Discord server. And everybody's, there's just so much excitement around it. Hey, if you like your, you know, three to six guys hanging around online every week, you know, your buddies, your pals, and you play and you enjoy each other's company. And, you know, sometimes you can't play because someone's not there. Keep on going. But if you want to have a big exciting you know get as many people as possible in on it right 
these these techniques are proven to work. And once you have that sort of open world, that living world game, right, that you get by having one-to-one time and sticking to the rules that are in the book, you can adapt to multiple game masters. You can you can adapt to uh, players dropping in and out, long-term dropouts. You know, play, you know, players can quit, and guess what? There's always going to be other people who want to come in and play. Uh, it's cool. It's it's fun stuff, and I can say that, right? I can say that because I've been playing in it. I'm, I'm playing in the Trilopolis campaign. It's it's crazy how effective these techniques are. We've had people, we've had people, and and I'm not going to go into details, but we've had people say because of the multiple DM situation, oh, I don't like this, I don't like so and so the DM, I don't like this guy's DM, right? So, but I stick around because the game is so entertaining, you know. I, you know, some people only show up for certain weeks, right? When when one DM's going, at least to start. This is all these knock-on effects. So cool. I'm rambling. Save me. So I'm just saying that uh, I had a very, very successful campaign um, back in the 90s that looking uh, looking at it in retrospect, I wish I had had some of the it, it was not an AD&D campaign. It wasn't a D&D campaign at all. I just wish I had the techniques from the BroSR because they clearly would have made that game much, much better. And in fact, uh, after I spent like literally 15 years playing and uh, thinking of ways of revising this game and improving this game, I stumbled on some of the same ideas that were in AD&D um, independently. Um, you know, I stumbled on the notion of patron play independently, and I had a, a rule set that I was going to borrow uh, called Rain and Enchiridion, which is the rain game stripped of all the rain campaign stuff so you could apply it to any system that I was going to use for faction play because I thought that was uh, great for high-level characters. I said, when you become a high-level character in this world, what you really need to do is move up into a leadership role. You really need to move up and uh, become leaders of some of these groups instead of just getting hired by them or getting... um, adventure uh you know leads from them or clues or whatever and mass combat that was missing from this game needed to be there and so i was working on mass combat rules um the one thing i never thought of that i think would have made the game so much better was training time and uh, one-to-one time uh, between downtime. Because this game took place in our world where some significant events had happened that really 
you know, shook it up, but it was kind of running in parallel time. So it would have been perfect for one-to-one time because when they published a source book, let's say the source book came out in August of 1992, that source book, all of the information in it was current for August of 1992. If, you know, if you tried to use it later, you'd have to update some of the stuff because things would have changed on the war front. So one-to-one time for downtime was perfectly suited for this game. Just absolutely apt. Absolutely. I wish I'd had that technique available to me so I could have continued, so I could have run the game even better. Um. And then training time would have given people the opportunity to try out new characters. And again, the point of this game was variety of characters and variety of milieus. And one-to-one time and training jail and things like that uh, would have just encouraged players to take advantage of some of the things in the rules, um, like researching spells or building um, gadgets or, you know, running their factions or organizations while they had other characters they could adventure with. Just Looking back on it all, there were things that I had thought of independently and were trying to implement, and there were things that I never thought of, and the most crucial one that I never thought of was uh, training time and one-to-one time. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, I wish I had. That would have made the game so much better. And and that's one of the the thrust of one of the lessons that we learned from uh, stuff like the Secrets of Blackmore film, right? That sort of that war gaming culture where uh, the stuff that came out in the Dungeon Master's Guide about timekeeping and one-to-one time, you know, war gamers were used to that sort of thing. You know, Gygax was speaking a language that they just understood. Yeah, everybody used some variety of one-to-one time uh, or seven-to-one time or two-to-one time or whatever. Um, and so it, it was definitely, um, it was definitely just an assumed part of the rules. Gygax never imagined that he would have to explain it to people playing D&D. Uh, he didn't. He didn't foresee the explosion in the 1980s of you know school kids picking it up all around the country, um, or heavy metal bands just playing it after their gigs. <laughs> <laughs> Superstars or mid-tier heavy metal bands literally played D and D. You know back at their apartments after gigs in the 80s. 
that's how insanely popular it was. Um, but once it had spread like that, because all of these things didn't show up in the versions of D&D that were getting published. Uh, and I say D&D, not AD&D, like B-E-C-M-I. Didn't have anything like that. And those are the versions that were getting played mostly. All of that dropped out of the culture and were, were vaporized. It isn't just that they weren't highlighted in AD&D. It's that the versions of D&D weren't even hinting at them because they didn't even contain the hints that AD&D has because they were just um they were just uh gone. They were just taken out. Um and what you really needed for it to be transmitted was in that and I'm not talking about Moldvay basic or BX I'm talking about like the red, blue, uh, green, black, gold sets, B-E-C-M-I. Um, they really needed to be in that red box right hmm. up there saying you run with one to one time and here is training jail. and you want to make other characters to adventure with so that, you know, while your character's in training, you're playing other characters. And if it had been in there clearly and unambiguously, it would have survived and people would have played it. Um, and I think if Gygax had still been in the company when second edition was published, he might have gone, having seen where it spread to, he might have gone and made it more explicit instead of just an assumed part of the game. Uh, great, totally. Uh, I think that on to that point, the rumor was that he was just doing a cleanup of the rules he presented in AD&D. It wasn't until you know he left the company and they sort of took the project back up with new head designers that they they cleaned it up a lot differently than he might have, and they ended up with a different game. That ADD second edition is not comparable to first edition at all, even though on the surface something like seventy five percent of the rules are the same. Some of the things they added. Uh, are good ideas. Um, all the things they took out needed to be there. Some of the things they added are terrible ideas. Mm -hmm. um, like the expanded uh, caster system to where you have not just uh, more than just illusionists. More than just illusionists. And, and the way you could differentiate between clerics of different alignments with their spell lists? I think adding a necromancer magician, a necromancer magic user class would be a good idea. I think that's a solid expansion for second edition. 
because it's a good archetype and there isn't really a way uh, and having a necromancer class with necromancy spells that only the necromancers get and other magic users can't even cast. I think that would be a solid addition. Sure. But all the rest of them, abjurers and conjurers, they have no flavor. They have no basis in the kind of archetypes that classes are supposed to represent. Um, but then again, I'm also the one who thinks that uh, that Autark had a good idea with, in addition to uh, uh, in addition to regular classes that are kind of uh, you know, fighter, thief, whatever, they also have racial classes. Right. And I wonder if Having illusionist be a gnome racial class wouldn't be a funny way to do it. So there are no human or elven or dwarven or, you know, whatever illusionists. They're just gnome illusionists. And that's their racial class. That's the one thing they do better than anyone else. They can still be thieves. You know, they can still be fighters. Can't be clerics because only humans can be clerics. Humans are half orcs, I think. But in AD&D, I I, th I, I want to I want to I want to touch on that. I want to pull on that thread a little bit. That's one of the cool things about um, the AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide and Monster Manual is that they imply a particular world, and it's a very humanocentric world. Yeah, and and this is one of the this is one of the places where customization of your game uh, can be very helpful. Even if you're playing all the rules as written, uh, you can affect things such as, you know, and, and the author was very careful to specify, you know, level limits are there for a reason, class restrictions are there for a reason. We actually want this to be a humanocentric world. Um, but a small change like that, like, okay, so actually we're not going to permit human illusionists. And that would be the only change that you suggested. Uh, no, nobody else can be an illusionist. Uh, that wouldn't quite be the rules as written, but you have created an interesting campaign world and maybe you play it out and see how it goes. Maybe it has lots of implica is implications that you can't see right off the bat. Um, another thing that you can do to sort of make it your own, you know, actually encouraged by the game, uh, which is to mess with the monster tables. You know, they they printed brand new monster tables in the Monster Manual 2. You've got the Fiend Folio. And you can also do your own thing. You know, Tolopolis um, infamously has a rule where any demi-human result on the Wandering Monster Table, when you're in a certain region, are replaced with Trollops, right? <sighs> you you yeah. if, if, if you're in and around uh, Machador and trollopolis itself you uh you won't find any humans wandering around you'll only find trollops and in uh you know in my slice of the campaign world there are no native 
demi-humans. There are only humans. So, yeah, um, that would be a perfect place to also use that change. And it just changes up the feel of the game, doesn't it? Yeah. Because mine's a pirate world. And so the pirate-centric um, place. No elf, no elf games there. <laughs> um, I also think that weapon specialization isn't a bad thing to have in a second edition. I'm not saying it should be back, you know, I'm not saying you should adopt it at AD&D. I'm just saying for a second edition, if that's something that has been working and you've tested it out, I don't think that's a bad addition to the game. Yeah. Um, I conceptually, I agree. I actually don't like weapon specialization, but as just as a rule, I don't like it. But I, I, I think I get what you mean. I think I understand where you're coming from. That sort of enhancing of the of the game, right? Power creep, if you will. So yeah, it just uh, everything they took out needed to be there. They just didn't realize why, because I, I don't think they had played in the in the you know milieu that Gary Gygax played. And so they didn't understand what campaigns Gygax, Gygax's AD&D was intended to facilitate. Um, and, and that's not even going over the insanity of having a D&D and AD&D be two completely incompatible systems or two largely incompatible systems. Um, if you're going to have, or, or <laughs> the added insanity of basic Dungeons and Dragons growing into a game that was almost as complicated as AD&D. Right. Once, once you add the uh, ECMI modules and, or the rule cyclopedia, that's almost as complicated. You, uh, what you really needed was a basic system. If you were going to have a basic D&D, what you really needed was a basic D&D that really was basic. The point of which was to graduate you to AD&D 2nd Edition at some point. Mm -hmm. um, so it would teach you the mode of play, what you expected in AD&D, give you a lot of the stuff, all the basics, so that when you were ready, you know, and some of the classes like 1 through 5th level or whatever, and then say, and then have all the same rules as AD&D, spell uh, acquisition is the same, spell books are the same, combat initiative is the same, weapons are the same, armor class tables is the same. You know, AD&D starts from uh, 10 and goes up. D&D &D started from 9 and went up. 
Uh, yep. So you just needed to have them be ba- the same game. Um, but if people weren't able, and then AD&D, you could jump in at first level and go, if you were comfortable with, you know, running all those rules. But just don't have them be two separate games that are nearly as complicated and have your company be tell- selling two games that are called AD&D or called Dungeons and Dragons. It's kind of insanity. When you look at a lot of the things they were doing in in the 80s and 90s, and it's why the company died and got bought out by Wizards of the Coast. Absolutely. I mean, not only a missed opportunity, but unforced errors. They thought they knew what they had. They didn't they didn't know the half of it. Well, anyway, I think we've about run that one out. Yeah. I'm over my depression again. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. You do sound great today, DW. Other than my raspy voice, which is barely loud enough to register. No, I kid, I kid. So... <laughs> So what about you? Di- yeah, I was gonna I was gonna help you introduce it. Now it's um, awkward. I made it weird. Sorry, man. In my normal life, I am working twelve-hour days still. Uh, but uh, actually, I'm working longer than twelve-hour days now. But I am. Uh, making progress on the projects that are in front of me, uh, making good progress, great progress, and things are falling into place. Um, I just had four separate write-ups that were put together for different reasons at different times over the last two or three years. Uh, I finally was able to look at them Um because I had to start writing a new one. I just, uh, enough ideas had coalesced in my mind that I started writing a new one. And then I ran into these other uh, articles I had written for the, you know, metaphysical underpinnings of the world. Um, I mean, these are things that, people aren't going to have to read, but which it's necessary for me to have absolute clear grasp of in order for the setting to remain internally consistent. For when I say, uh, you know, here's a sequence of events, and then later go to a different place and say, here's a sequence of events, People can read those two different things and they make sense. It doesn't look like there's a, you know, continuity glitch or something. 
they don't have to get confused because they make sense with each other. Um, and then later, if I write, you know, an official or a, an advanced Game Master's book, then I can put this stuff in it because people have voluntarily signed up for Deep Arcana and, you know, here it is. You, you ask for it. Um, so I wrote it. Uh, and then I went through and rewrote it to add some details, clarify it, and it expanded. Then a few months later, I added some more stuff and expanded and revised it and moved some stuff around. And then I found these other two articles uh, that I'd written last year and earlier in this year. And I'm like, oh, I've got to go back and put in the information from these two articles because it's missing. So that's what I've been doing for the past on and off among other work on other fronts for the past week. And it's really turning out well. It's really holding together well. And it's uh, helped me while doing it also improve other areas of uh, the project. And I understand that's vague. You know, the project the article but i can't give details of it gotta keep that close to the vest yes i can't give more details than i'm that i am right now but yeah it is great and it's exciting i'm making big progress and it seems to be accelerating there's a lot of things that are uh Outside of that particular thing, there's a lot of things that are accelerating. Um, and I'm excited. Um, I've been working on this project for a very long time. Uh, and when I can let out more information or make announcements or whatever. I would be more than happy to do so. Well, I'm happy for you. Uh, it sounds awesome. So I, that's what I was doing right before the show. I was doing that up until like 7.14. And I realized, oh, I've got to get ready for the show. Yep. So, but yeah. luckily, luckily you were you were already prepared to be prepared. I don't know how we put that. Yes. Because you, uh, you knew what you wanted to talk about. Yes. I, uh, the Walking Dead TV show is the cable network that broadcast it. It has ended. It ended uh, earlier this year or last year. It ended last year, I think. And ever since it ended, it was a major hit for AMC. And ever since it ended, uh, they've been looking for ways to keep it running so they launched 
two spin-off series, uh, one of which was Fear the Walking Dead, and that was launched, you know, a long time ago, like fifth season of the series, I think. And the other one of which is called The Walking Dead World of Something or whatever. And it only got two seasons because apparently everybody hated it, not just me. <laughs> um, but then they've been trying to do some streaming stuff for their streaming service, AMC+. And these are generally much shorter seasons. They focus on one or two characters. They have serious budget put in them, but uh, not as much as a release on the cable network would have got. So they're primarily intended to provide content for the AMC Plus platform. Okay. And one of those is uh, The Walking Dead, Dead City. Now, what they did with The Walking Dead, Dead City is they took two of the audience's absolute favorite characters and put them at the center of the show. Um, That's weird. Uh, writers and showrunners don't usually have good ideas like that. What gives? Now, this this season, the first season just got done. It only had six episodes. So you can see where having a big budget per episode, but only having six episodes provides kind of a punch. Um, And then they'll see how it does and make the next episode. make the next season the two you know kind of starring characters are negan um and maggie and negan's the big guy who used to carry a baseball bat with barbed wire wrapped around it uh even i know who that guy is and maggie is also called the widow um she was married to a character everybody loved that they stupidly killed off at the beginning of one season or at the end of another end of one season leading into the beginning of another. They actually had Negan kill him very brutally. Uh, and I can't remember his name right now. Um, he, uh, um, but everybody loved him because from the very first time he appeared, he was smart, he was canny, he was cunning. Uh, and he was a pizza delivery boy before the disaster, but he just knew how to get around and do things. Um, he always wore the cap and the white um, baseball uh you know, one of those stylized baseball shirts, old-time baseball shirts. Sure. Um, so Maggie grew into a very tough, very competent character. She was one of the leaders of uh, the cities when uh, before the big time jump in The Walking Dead. And everybody liked Maggie. 
I mean, all the people in the audience, all the viewers of the show liked me. So this season started off with Megan and Maggie sort of teaming up, but sort of hating each other because Megan killed Maggie's husband. Uh, and this is now like almost 12, 13 years ago, but there's still not a lot of friendship or love loss between the two of them. And they're going to a place that we really haven't seen in the Walking Dead universe which is Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Which you've got to admit, uh, you got to uh, remember Manhattan has like uh, people living on the island, a few million people there, right? One to three million people, I think. All of who got, or the majority of whom got zombified. So it is absolutely stacked wall to wall with zombies and one of the most dangerous places on the planet. They're going there because Maggie's son, from her past husband, has been kidnapped, and she has come and asked Negan to help her get into the island and get him off. Because supposedly the guy who kidnapped him Negan knows. And he can help get in, get the kid, and get out. And that's a setup for the series. It's actually a pretty simple setup. Simple, straightforward. And then you go on to the island where all the zombies are, and you find out that there are survivors there, um, but that it's really difficult to survive, and they've worked out ways to stay off the ground floors because that's where the zombies are, and out of buildings where the zombies have uh, infested them, and they've rigged uh, zip lines between buildings to get between buildings, uh, and in some places they've got walkways they've set up between windows, and in other places they just jump to get from rooftop to rooftop. Um, they did a great job of showing Manhattan. That's been uh, 15 years now since this zombie uh, outbreak yeah. took over the world. What were you going to say? Outbreak. Yeah. Since it took over the world, um, zombie pandemic, zombie up. Apocalypse. Uh, zombie outbreak took over the world. And uh, they come up with a lot of really interesting twists on the on the zombie formula that I haven't seen before that I think we're gonna see people stealing in the future. Um and I'm not gonna give those away because it is actually spoilers for later episodes in the show. So right off quick, I want to say I enjoyed it. I like The Walking Dead. I like zombie media. I am not sick of zombies. And I enjoyed the show. Um, 
it was worth watching. Um, so there was, um, there was, uh, a lot of cool scenes. The zombies they did were great. They had some twists on zombies that I hadn't seen before. Um, And they had some additional characters involved with Negan and Maggie, who are not survivors on the island, who are not people that they were there to, you know, get back the, the sun from, that... Uh, had interesting reasons to be on the island that were involved with the main characters. And uh, those storylines tend to tended to play out well. So yeah, they had human drama, which is a hallmark of the Walking Dead series. Um, they had cool zombie fights, cool running from zombies or running into zombies to accomplish some things, uh, having to negotiate their way around survivor communities who didn't trust them. And the bad guys were kind of interesting. Uh, dislikes about the show... I think they were a little bit too willing to end relationships with uh, secondary characters by killing off the secondary characters. It's like they came on screen, they went through their um, subplots, and then they killed them off. And I thought that was kind of cheap. And it wasn't even grim or nihilistic. Uh, it just became kind of like perfunctory. They didn't even bother making it tragic. It was just perfunctory. Like here's or maybe here's how we get here's how we finish off this character. Like every new character introduced, we're just gonna how do we end his story? Yeah, just it's a zombie show, ate. right? Zombies yeah. ate him. Um. So I wish they would have done something different, done something more creative. Um, I mean, even a perfunctory, oh, we're out of that bad, terrible situation. I know there's a survivor camp nearby. Let me go to my survivor. Let me go to this survivor camp. I can't stand being around the two of you anymore, which would make sense. Um, and then they're shuffled off screen. That would have been better than, you know, zombies. Um, they, uh, I'm trying to remember what my other annoyance was. It wasn't huge. That was the main one. Um, the actor who plays Negan was also in Supernatural. He played the comedian in Watchmen. 
And I love him as an actor. He does such a great job. And him playing Negan is a great role. Um. You gotta love to be the villain, and you gotta love a guy who loves being the villain. Yeah. And uh, he gets to play reformed Negan for most of the show, and then a little bit of old Negan comes out. Plus, they have a flashback to the sanctuary, uh, which is a great flashback. It's just beautiful. And they have one of the old sanctuary characters who died off several years ago, who also played the psychopath in Grand Theft Auto V. He played uh, um, the bald cannibal crazy dude out in the Salton Sea. Um, and I love him as an actor, and it was awesome to see him on screen, even if it was just for a few minutes. Uh, so they had some fan service in there, just a little bit. Just a few minutes of fan service for people who have been watching The Walking Dead uh, for a long time. Uh, and it was great to see the old Negan with his bat and his coat uh, and his, uh, you know, full costume going full Negan. Um, so you got to see that in the show. So you got to see the new kind of reformed Negan doing his best. And you also got to see the old Negan. Um, and both those modes are great. Both of them are fun to see on the screen. They had a lot of surprises. Um, and the showrunner on the show, oh, he did a good job. What I didn't like about it, this is the other thing, is it had a little bit too much moral equivalency going on. And I didn't like it. It kind of bothered me because they were kind of bending things to make them morally equivalent. Um, and I don't think you need to bend, bend them that far. I, uh, I think overall it was a great season. It was better than a lot of The Walking Dead. It was more interesting. They kept up the pace more. Because it was only six issues, they weren't trying to stretch it out. If it had been 13 episodes, I think they would have covered the exact same territory with a lot more filler. And I'd be telling you how boring it was and how much all of it had been just keeping time, waiting for the next plot beat to happen. It was not that. They kept the story moving, and it was great. They had a lot of interesting innovations um, on. They had cars in there, and the cars were specially outfitted for zombie killing. And how they had cars, and why they had power, the answer to that is freaking amazing. It's fascinating as heck, and uh, you can watch the show and find out. But uh, I thought it was great. Gruesome, but great. This being a zombie movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It is not as good as your best zombie movies. Um, 
But that's because zombie movies are only two hours long and you can pack all the punch into two hours. Um, this is six hours long and the interim is filled with character drama. So you have a set piece and then characters, you know, having dramatic interactions, but you always have that on TV. It's a TV thing. That's why movies are generally better than TV, unless the drama is exceptionally good, like in, say, Breaking Bad. Because, um, I mean, in case it, it isn't obvious, because they don't have any money and cheap, it's cheap to make a show that's about three characters in two different locations talking out their conflicts. Right. Although this show had lots of different locations and lots of different characters. Uh, like I said, they had big budgets for each of the episodes, which meant they just didn't have as much episodes, which meant they didn't have the filler that you get from a Netflix show. Oh, that's most, outstanding. Most uh, of the uh, Netflix shows. That's outstanding because we've reviewed a number of streaming shows on all of the different services and despite the just pallets of cash these companies are burning per episode uh, they're just not very good uh, it's good to hear that they have actually put together something good with that kind of budget in in sort of like a mini series format yeah so I, uh, I mean, I'd give it an eight out of 10. High praise. Is that eight out of 10 in the zombie show category or eight out of 10, like seriously top 20% of, uh, TV shows you've ever seen? I'm not rating it against everything I've ever seen. I'm rating it as a TV show taken by itself. It's a, it's. An 8 out of 10. Fantastic. Uh, so there are shows above it, like Breaking Bad or anything from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Everything from the 80s, even the bad ones. Um, Maybe not. But yeah, I'd say it's an 8 out of 10. Uh, you know, if you like zombie shows, that'd bump it out to like a 9, 9.5 out of 10. Um, and frankly, you've probably watched it already. Could be. I mean, it's brand new. It just came out like six weeks ago. Um, but yeah, it was well worth six hours of my time to watch, and it was enjoyable. I liked it. Good stuff. Which is something I can't say for every season of The Walking Dead. Now, I've got uh, one more question for you. Sure. I have only seen one episode of The Walking Dead. It's the very first episode. And we even talked about it on the show. About, wow, that's great. What a great zombie show. But it didn't... I had no desire to watch the rest of it, and I didn't. So, knowing that about me, would I enjoy it? I... This is not a movie that or this is not a TV series that is likely to interest you. 
Is that because the uh, it has a lot to do with the characters and, and previous events that I wouldn't know anything about? Yeah, it really does. I mean, this is part of a larger continuity. And it does depend in part on you knowing and liking Negan and Maggie. Got it. So if you know nothing about the Walking Dead universe, I mean, this might be like a like a 7 or a 6.5. It's still good. I don't want to make it seem like it's bad. Like I might, I might want to just go get up and pour a drink or make some popcorn or do something during some of those character drama scenes. Yeah, because... Eh, yeah. I mean, you really, really don't like zombie. Uh, no, I guess I, I don't have any antipathy towards them. They just don't float my boat. I I really mm -hmm. liked I really liked the, you know, the Day of the Dead remake, uh, Dawn of the Dead rather. I liked Dawn of the Dead. Zombieland was uh, really funny. I really liked Zombieland, but no, I did, I don't really do I don't really dig them. I don't seek them out. You like Train to Busan. <laughs> I liked that one. Um, and that's it. I, that's the only zombie things I can remember you liking. That's so, fair. No. I, uh, just based on the concept of the show, just because it's a zombie show, I, I don't think you would enjoy this. Well, now you know. I hope that but helps anybody. You might, you might like the characters. You might find the characters interesting and enjoyable just by themselves and the situations they're in and why they ended up at uh, why they ended up in Manhattan and what happened to get them there and what's going on. You, you might actually like the characters. I mean, the reason why you liked Train to Busan was because you liked the characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the it was that mix of that sort of Korean action with interesting characters in a zombie movie that I really liked. If you watched the first episode and didn't like it of this series of, of Dead City, then you're not going to like the rest. Got it. This isn't one of those, you know, wait till episode two things. No, it, it's good from start to finish. And if you don't like the first one, you're not going to like the... Uh, you just don't like the concept of the show and you're not going to like the show. Uh, but that, that is also another good thing about it. It's good from start to finish. You don't have to wait for it to get good. There's six episodes. They're good from start to finish. Awesome. I mean, that's I mean, honestly, that's a lot of, that's a lot of points in its favor. Honestly, there's just, I'm sick of hearing like, Oh no, you gotta, you gotta let it simmer. You gotta let it build up. Like, yeah, that worked for all those great shows in the eighties when they were, trying to ramp up to 100 episodes to get into syndication. And so you had to have something like 70 filler episodes. Uh, that 
I I don't want that out of my six hour mini series anymore. Yeah. That is someone screwed up if there's filler. Yeah, if you have 13 episodes in a season, there shouldn't be any filler. But then again, I'm, I'm of the opinion that Netflix has forgotten that 13 episodes need to have what 22 episodes had of Buffy, which is here are some plot episodes scattered all over the season, and here are some self-contained episodes that maybe have something to do with the plot episodes, but probably don't. And the well, self-contained I, episodes have to be good. Well, and and, and what, what you're really getting at, I think, is that each episode does need to tell its own story, yes. whether it's whether it's part of the overarching narrative or not. Yes. It, it can't just be, you know, act eight of the movie. It, it has to have its own story because it's an episode. They're mm-hmm. episodic. That's what episode literally means. Yep. So, all right. Good chat. Good gab, even. Um, I love talking about that stuff. Uh, I'm glad to hear you're excited about the show and your project. It's great to talk D&D as usual. Um, and uh, we got a couple of folks hanging out with us live. That's really cool. I hope more people pick up on this uh, new time slot uh, because it's it's better for me. It's better for Warpig, so it should be better for you, too. Um, um, I'm currently watching the second season of Strange New Worlds. It just came out. Um, so it's possible I'll have that done for next week. That sounds great. That sounds great. I'm, uh, I'm halfway through the new book from Pylum Press, Death Flex. I don't know if you backed that. Uh, soon as soon as I've got that finished up, I'll have a full review on the show for everybody. Um, but that's all I've run out for this week. DW, I, I kind of just want to log up and play D and D now. All right. Um, anything else you want to say before I go? All yours. Um, let's see. This is Geek Gab. We're available on YouTube.com. Slash Geek Gab. Once again, that's youtube.com slash Geek Gab. We're also available on the Google Play Store. We're available on soundcloud.com and on iTunes.com. Check us out. Just do a search for Geek Gab. You can subscribe to us uh, on the device of your choice, listen to us on the web, or download it to your computer. We uh, thank everybody who turned in and listened live. We want to thank everyone who will listen later um we get literally hundreds of people uh listening later and uh we love each and every one of you um this has been geek gap for monday july 31st 2023 we are signing off for today but don't you worry don't you fret we will be back